everyone. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Plastic Planet podcast with myself, Dr. Rafilwe. Today we have a very interesting episode with uh, Stephanie. It's a it's a beauty meets brain type of situation. Um, yeah, so she is an ecophysiologist or she specializes in ecophysiology and she's also trying to just wrap up her PhD. So very looking forward to this one um, very much. So hope you do enjoy. Thank you so much, Philwe. I'm so happy to be here today. Um, so yeah, I am Stephanie. Um, I think a little bit about myself and my background. I grew up always loving science and life science especially. Um, I started my BSc journey in um, 2013 with the hopes of, you know, going into medicine at some point. I was very passionate about the human bio um, biology and how the human body worked. And um, I did anatomy and physiology. And I think in that course of like trying to get to medicine um, and like surgery, I fell in love with science and the the process of actually discovering things and making discoveries like we do as scientists. Um, so I specialized in anatomy and physiology and I spent about three years, you know, just studying anatomy um, after my BSc. Um, currently I'm doing my PhD in marine sciences and I'm focusing on genetics and anatomy. So that anatomy is still there. But I think my first experience of plastics started in my undergraduate degree um, when I finally started understanding, you know, what was happening in my body. I understood the structure, I understood the processes behind what was happening in my body, say when I'm eating something or, you know, when my hormones are all over the place. Um, and I took a sp like a particular interest in how food and what's happening in the environment around me is affecting my body from long days in the lab affecting my skin to break out to when I'm eating something particular, my body reacting to that. And at that point, I'd met a really close friend of mine who works in um, environmental sciences. And um, we started bonding over this, trying to minimize our plastic usage. And she was making eco bricks. And at that point, I was really because I was aware of what was happening with my body, I started looking into the plastics and like how plastics affect us on a daily basis. Um, so very like detour way of getting to where we are today. But I think ultimately very happy that I am able to understand these things now. It, it does already. I feel like it's going to be a very interesting discussion. And, uh, you know, we're going to get into the nitty-gritties of physiology and the human anatomy and the body and you know um i think speaking of it how what are the mechanisms of plastic ingestion um how can we get it through our skin can we get it through our eyes you know there's so many notions out there you know that there's plastics in the air can we breathe them in you know is and you know so what what are the mechanisms out there and you know, can you just debunk some of the myth and just also some of the truths out there? Yeah, so there are so many stories out there or like many theories rather than stories. Um, I think ultimately we we know it's in the water. I think most people realize that it's in the water, but I don't think people realize that it's actually in the air as well. Um, no. 
and it is it is things that are so small so you can't actually see them with the naked eye and you don't know what you're inhaling so we are actually inhaling microplastics we are ingesting microplastics through food through water um something as simple as table salt we ingesting microplastics through all of those um it can't be penetrating through it can't be penetrated oh it can't penetrate the skin um but you can inhale it and you can ingest it and once it's inside the human body it can actually very easily cross the blood gas barrier once it's in your lungs or even the capillary barriers once it's in your digestive system so then it can find its way into the blood and the circulatory system sure so it it really is you know it it can go even deeper than you know your digestive system in and just in your lungs because if you say we ingested then one would think oh it actually goes into my stomach but um you know just knowing how evolved and how advanced the human digestive system is someone would argue that oh but you know it should not be a problem for for a you know for a human to digest microplastics because the system yes. is not much more advanced you know versus yeah you, yeah. yeah you would think um that that would be the case so i think traditionally when people think you're ingesting plastics whether it's humans or whether it's say any vertebrate because the general vertebrate plan is kind of the same that um the esophagus with the stomach and then the intestines coming along later for most vertebrates remain the same um so if you, you we would all take into consideration what we think you know the traditional photo of the turtle eating plastic bags um and then obviously having all of that in its digestive system so i'd like to think humans know not to eat plastic but the microplastics are the ones that we unintentionally ingest because we don't know that they there um so even though when we would cut up open the stomach you might not find big chunks of plastic you'd find those smaller pieces of plastic um and if they are big enough to be seen with the naked eye they most likely will pass through the digestive system um and they would come out on the other side so in theory i guess you can argue that we are equipped to handle it but the problem comes in when it comes to actually the processes of digestion because um we now exposing this piece of plastic to all of the normal hormones and enzymes that we would expose our food to that we would need to break down so the question would be what would the effect of say um the the saliva for one be does the saliva break down the plastic differently and if so does that secrete um different chemicals that might affect the human body differently or the peptides that we use to break down proteins how does that interact with the the protein how does stomach acid interact um with the plastic um and those those things i think we don't really take into consideration so yes you might argue that our digestive system is basic or complex enough or advanced enough to just let it pass through but that smaller interactions while it's in your digestive system people aren't thinking about um and then once it is small enough to actually be absorbed that is even a bigger concern because then you're really not seeing it with the naked eye it would be the size of a tiny little blood cell that's able to cross um the barriers and then it's in your bloodstream and i think once it's in your bloodstream that is when the real scariness starts you know 
think I'm thinking of, you know, the hormonal imbalance that that may come with that. I'll tell you why, because um, I'm thinking of the additives that are put in plastic, you know, your BAs and all of that, some of which have been linked to hormonal imbalance and cancer. Uh, so how how is it that, you know, plastic can affect someone, human, humans, um, I mean, how 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 can plastic impact human health or mental health? Is it a thing? Can it impact human health, um, in your opinion? I definitely think it can. Um, one, if we just I think if we just go back to some of or going back to the broader picture, if we think of plastics, you might think, oh, that's only one group of um, polymer. But you have different types of plastics and they each break down differently. And when they break down, they give off different types of chemicals. Each of these chemicals can affect the human body differently. So um, I think if modern science to date has taught us anything, human bodies, depending on what like your genetics are, what your eco um your environment does like there's so many different interactions that allow your body to respond to what is happening to it currently and the interactions with your body and its environment as well as the environment interacting with the other things around you all affect your body differently so there's i don't think there's one set model that you can say oh you know i didn't get sick but that means everyone else is not going to get sick um, or I, I wasn't affected so that we can apply that to everyone. Vice versa, we can't, there's always going to be that odd one out. If we look at a study that says seven out of 10 people got it, there's always the three people who were fine. Um, but the majority of them were still affected by it. And I think that's the importance of it. Um, what I do think, because all of these interactions affect people differently based on genetics and, you know, your how strong your immune system is and all of that, it definitely has an effect. It definitely affects the human body. Um, however, I don't think there's any set method. We can give broad terms. So we can say that um, they can cause inflammation. They can cause mutations. They can cause oxidative stress, which in turn causes mutations and are linked to cancer. And the same with the mutations. We can say that it causes apoptosis or cell death. But those are all very general terms. We we can't say that, you know, it's going to cause these specific things. And I think the general the general terms themselves um should scare people enough. Because it, it is it should be a warning sign. Um inflammation, I know, for one, can be linked to um to increased um cytokine activity, which when you have that cytokine activity, those are generally the things that would make you feel pain when um when you are um with say when you've undergone a surgery those cytokines will be present um to encourage your nat your um natural killer cells and all of your immune cells to come to the site where you have been injured um and that's all inflammation related um cytokines they yeah they play a very they play a key role in your immune response and if you have constant inflammation your body is going to be focusing on trying to get rid of that inflammation. Um, and I don't think we need constant inflammation in the body. That is not a normal state for any living organism. That inflammation shouldn't be there. 
Yeah, because, um, you know, as you said, plastic is a foreign object that your body will recognize and respond with inflammation. So we, we, we do know a little bit, you know, borrowing from science and physiology and, you know, um, also ecotoxicology, but we, we really don't know much about the actual impact of plastic, you know, um, like you said, is, is it carcinogenic? You know, um, what is it that once you have it, can what are the impacts of it? Once, once it's in the placenta, once it's in the human milk, uh, you know, for with, with females, uh, what does that entail? Do you know what I mean? So we, we really know that plastic is definitely in our bodies in places where we never imagined, where we actually never thought it is. Yeah. But, you know, what is it that, what is the cause of it? And that is so scary that we don't really know much about it, right? Yeah, we really, we really don't, um, we really don't know. So obviously, we know that it's kind of infested itself in the food chain. So it is in the food we eat, it is in the water we drink, it is in the salt we put into our food, um, it's in the air we inhale. And now ultimately, if it's small enough, it can get into our bloodstream. So once it's in our bloodstream, where does it go from there? So we've there's a few studies that looked at where you can find um, my, microplastics, and it's been found in human blood. It's it's been found crossing the placental barrier. It's found in breast milk, even. So yeah. you are now carrying a child. You are nourishing this child. Um, and the placenta is meant to be a protective mechanism. The placenta is meant to whatever chemicals or um, whether it's a, an artificial chemical or bacteria. So it's supposed to give the mother's antibodies to the baby, but it's also meant to protect the baby and prevent certain chemicals from passing through the placenta. But if we take something like fetal alcohol syndrome, if the mother's drinking alcohol that's crossing the placental barrier and it's affecting the development of this baby, if plastics can cross as well, and we have no idea what effect this plastic has on the human body, much less a developing human body, we can't say how it's going to affect children. So you're carrying this child, it's carrying over the, the plastic, but now you're also breastfeeding your child, and that's also carrying over plastic. So... This poor baby is born with a, a predisposed plastic um, from almost day one. And I don't think, like I said, we don't even know how it's affecting humans that are grown, much less what's going to happen when we look at development. And if these are things that are carcinogens to grown humans during development, they might even have a greater effect. Yeah. And also, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, where the science is and how, you know, at the rate of developing, um, I, I, I see that it's, it's, I foresee that it's still going to be a long way, right? Because it has to be thorough. We have to really find out what the causes are and the problems are. And it can't be a rushed process. You know, it, the nature of science is like that. What do you think can be done in the meantime while science is trying to really come up with the solution? Oh, that is such a big question. Um, 
yeah i wish i i wish i had a quick answer i mean it is one of those things because it's affecting so many people or ultimately will be affecting so many people it is something that you wish you could just go you know this is the one thing you must do and it's super easy you do it and it's done but it's not um yeah again i i think we'd have to stress the bigger picture which is there's so many different polymers each breaking down differently each of those ways that they break down can have an effect and that in itself is just the plastics thinking of the human body um we have different organ systems each working differently each consisting of different cells so it's so intricate and how each of those different chemicals can affect each of those intricate systems is insane we we don't know and i think that's why the science is taking a little bit longer because we need concrete evidence um and it isn't just a quick answer to it so i think ultimately this problem isn't just you know scientists that need to take care of it it, it is something that needs to come from the whole population it is something that we each actively need to strive to do um try minimize our plastic usage and there's a i know there's a lot of movement out there in terms of trying to minimize it minimizing it will not make it go away unfortunately um i think as you would know microplastics are in our system now in in terms of our ecosystems now and it's there um we can stop it and stop feeding the cycle um by minimizing plastic usage but it is a lot easier said than done because it's expensive and plastic alternatives are expensive and not everyone has access to it necessarily there's also the side of convenience on the other hand it's so easy to quickly go into a coffee shop grab a cup grab the disposable cup throw it away when you get when you're done but leaving the house remembering to take that that reusable coffee cup it isn't it isn't always easy especially if we're in a rush and i think it's making small changes small changes like not um not buying extra plastic if it's not necessary not buying plastic bags um yeah I, there's no one answer i mean there's so many different things that we can do to cut down on our plastics and stop feeding into the cycle um but in terms of i think humans slowing down on like plastic ingestion i don't think it's possible for you to especially if it's something like microplastics i mean if it's a big chunk you can easily pick it out of your food and make a conscious call not to eat it sure. but if it's such a tiny piece you can't see it unless you're sitting there with a microscope and you're trying to sift through your food to figure out you know can i eat this or can't i eat it um yeah i <laughs> i don't know i, I it's a, it's a very sad it's a very sad answer because there isn't an instantaneous answer for it it is something that's going to take us quite a few years to try combat yeah i think we already are you know a plasticine um i think it's already termed or is a term that's uh, coined by scientists right now that we are already yeah. going to be known as the plasticine simply because all that we are um the fossil that we leave behind is unfortunately plastic right um and i yeah, think how scary that is that is uh <laughs> yeah mind boggling um i think one thing that i love that you touched on i mean you, you did mention quite a few things but how vast the plastic polymer in itself is you know you you th- i'm thinking pvc uh versus polyester versus you know 
para film, um, those are very different. And even when they break down in the environment, they, their breakdown mechanism would be very different as well, right? Um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, how would it evaporate into the air? How would it behave in the terrestrial environment and also in, in the aquatic environment? Do you know what I mean? So you cannot really model even a plastic trajectory. It's, it's, it's a very complex mechanism, right? Yes, no, it is. I mean, I'm no polymer scientist. Um, maybe in my next PhD, I'll dabble in that for a little <laughs> bit. Um, but it is, it is one of those things where we could. I mean, it's a good, it's a good space for collaboration in terms of bringing in machine learning and bringing in polymer science and bringing in that human scientist. If we can model how plastics would. Um, would react in each of these different instances. So once it is in my body, how does it react? Um, but also, I think I think we all know if you think of a, a plastic cup that you've seen, the little lid with the recyclable and then the number in it, and it's how long that plastic is viable for before it starts decomposing. Um, and during the entire decompo decomposition process or period, it gives off different compounds because different the different parts of it break down at different times. Um, so we also need to take into consideration like at which part of this breakdown timeline did I ingest this plastic? Was it a quick, you know, before it start, started breaking down or was it towards the end of its life? Um, and again, all of these things together need to be taken into consideration, but ultimately they all break down differently. And each of those comp the different components will affect us or will affect the environment differently. Um, like getting into vegetables or affecting growth of vegetables or even causing birth defects. I mean, um, plastic is such a big part of our lives now. But if we think about something like thalidomide, um, and that was the, the morning sickness drug, um, and everyone, it, it was a big craze, everyone started taking it and it cured morning sickness. And then there was the spur of birth defects that were, um, that came up shortly after everyone was taking thalidomide. And then they realized, but it's actually a really bad carcinogen that's causing these birth defects. Sure. Um, now I'm not saying plastic is going to be equally as bad, but if we increase the doses because we keep increasing the microplastics that we are ingesting, could it have the same effect? Yeah, I mean, we don't know. We we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I love how we both like we, we we don't know right now, and that is the scary part, right? And as a, as a scientist, it's a very scary place to be. Um, it, but it's also, I mean, I think it's very it's it's room for scientific advancement, but to really just know that. Um, we really don't know what we're going to find and we are going to take our time and, you know, do everything that needs to be done yeah. to actually make sure that we get the correct answers. But there's something that you touched on that really made me giggle a little bit to say, um, you know, you must think to when you were first exposed to to the plastic um, and at what state it was, because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking small babies, um, you know, they are little bottles they are you know milk bottles they are plastic and you know the teething toys whatever 
it's all yeah. plastic and you are just ingesting it from a very young age and you know parents don't know any better they just like thinking it's it's actually harmless meanwhile it's it's it can be quite harmful yeah i mean i'm i'm thinking back to when you know we were kids and my brother was born when i was 7 so that's that you know that's something that's still quite fresh in my memory but it was very easy to go here's your little rubber toy that you can chew on because he's teething and he's crying and he's you know you can see that he's in pain besides the fact that we just i think it's also very much um consumer market driven and there was this new craze of oh you know we can give them this toy but back in the day when the plastics were just coming out no one realized that microplastics were a thing now we know microplastics are a thing um and now we know these chemicals affect development um or they can be carcinogenic i mean if you think to it would have been to when we were in primary school bpas weren't even a thought right yeah. like yeah. we could just reuse plastic bottles like most of our containers probably contain bpas and then yeah. they figured out that bpas were linked to car, um to mutagens and mutations or is a mutagen and is linked to mutations um so i think what that shows is that science is evolving and science is learning as we you know as we we have more time we can gather more information about these things so what i would say is be patient with scientists while we figure out what is happening and how these things can affect us um but what i would also say is just be cautious and be open minded to the idea that these things could affect you so and it's very rich coming from me because i'm sitting here going you know be be a little easier on your plastic usage with my disposable coffee cup having to go get coffee and roach it now so um, <laughs> you know it is it is very it is very rich coming from you saying this but i think it is an active choice that we have to make it's an active choice that we have to try make at least um i i'm not saying we are all perfect and it is not always easy but i think if we each try and genuinely try our best to cut down on plastic usage it would make a big big difference um yeah i'm so i'm going down such a tangent now as well like there's yeah. just so many things it's so um, many things um definitely um yeah thank you for yeah for just coming through and um sharing your knowledge me. with us you know I, i think we've learned a lot and uh i i think there's also a lot more to just delve into and talk about and communicate and and that you know it's not all doom and gloom uh that we we do have some level of leverage you know we can be able to not use plastic as often as we you know we do we we know how to make choices i think that's what our differences is between us and other animals unfortunately in the in the ocean that you know not to willingly ingest plastic you know and you know it's not good for you and um you can avoid you can make now better choices for yourself and just really tapping into that mentality or mindset that um you are going to actively you know uh just be aware of of your plastic intake uh i think it's something that you really just touched on and we really 
love to end on a positive note here and just one of your sort of positive thoughts and positive messages around do you think that uh it is the responsibility of uh the scientists or of this generation not even scientists of this generation in terms of behavior to make sure that at least we don't pass on this plastic baton to the next generation um that's a good question and trying to keep positive i'll keep my answer as light as i can <laughs> um i think unity if anything over the last couple of years we've seen that if humans work together we can actually do a lot of impressive things so i don't think it's just one generation's responsibility it is everyone's responsibility whether you are at least if you are capable it is your responsibility that would be my that would be my answer if you have any if you have any um reason to make a call as to choosing plastic over non-plastic it is your responsibility um that would be my that would be my answer if you awesome. can please do that <laughs> yeah so it's all our responsibility and we all have uh, leeway and leverage to be able to make a difference so if you make a difference in your corner it will you know it will have an impact so yeah definitely yeah, I think that's uh, that's very good words. Uh, thank you so much once again for coming through, Stephanie. And we really just learned a lot. I learned a lot. I really just ingested a lot. And I'm, I'm definitely going to try and be even more conscious uh, about my plastic intake. As you said, we know about plastic, but we also tend to just find ourselves gravitating towards the what's there, what's available to us yeah. and what consumerism the is convenience. 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 Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and um load shedding load shedding also is not helping <laughs> because you're like no, I can't make my coffee, I'll buy my coffee. And um yeah. that's something that we should really be mindful of. And uh thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for coming in and sharing this uh you know, topic with us and just lending your ear and uh, we do hope that you'll go out there and educate and continue to do better. Thank you.